Hey, think you know which way it's going to go? Make your bet at Sports Interaction. Whatever your sport, Sports Interaction has you covered pregame. Live betting on all major sports and, of course, prop bets. Who doesn't love those? Want to bet? Head to sportsinteraction.com slash SDPN. 19 plus. Please play responsibly. This is Agent Provocateur with Alan Walsh and Adam Wild. Powered by Sports Interaction. Want to bet? Welcome to another episode of Agent Provocateur. I'm Alan Walsh with Adam Wild. How's it going, Alan? Great, man. Great. How are you feeling? Recovering. Recovering from this flu. Get your flu shot, everybody. Uh, Really, really important. I'm glad I did, too, because when you told me about today's guest, I... uh, I, I don't know. This is like going back to my, my dad would have got goosebumps even uh, doing this interview. Yeah. And, 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 you know, the thing about Scotty is that he's got an almost photographic memory and uh, his ability to recount details from 30, 40 years ago is astounding. So uh, when he graciously agreed to come on and be our guest, um, I was I was really, really blown away. So why don't we get down to the introduction? Let's do it. Go ahead. All right. Our guest today hails from Verdun, Quebec. He's the winningest coach in NHL history with 1,244 regular season wins. He's won 14 Stanley Cups. He coached Canada to gold in the 1976 Canada Cup, coaching alongside Don Cherry. Uh, a Jack Adams Award winner for NHL Coach of the Year, an Order of Canada recipient, an Order of Hockey in Canada recipient, inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame in 1991. Let's give a big welcome to Scotty Bowman. Yeah. Scotty, I know that you started uh, playing hockey uh, and you played in the junior ranks in uh, in Montreal. How old were you when you started playing at that level? I got into the junior ranks at 16 and I played till I was about 18 or 19. And then when I got the my injury, I couldn't play much more after that. So, And that, I, was, with, that was with Jean-Guy Talbot. Yeah, we later became uh, on the same team. <laughs> but there was, uh, yeah, he's one of the, you know, Alan, uh, people know the Montreal, you know the team, uh, I'm sure, but the 50, uh, the five-in-a-row team, there's only two people uh, left uh, uh, with us. Donnie Marshall, who lived two streets over from me, right. and I played minor hockey with Donnie. He was two years older, but I was always playing a couple of years ahead of the uh, the group, uh, behind the group. And uh, uh, Jean-Guy Talbot, they're the only two living members of that uh, five in a row. Uh, you know, there was 13 players that played on on, the, on those teams. There's still some other players. Phil Goyette, who later played for us in St. Louis, he also, he was on three of the Cups. Uh, but the five, uh, the 13 players, there's there's only two remaining. And uh, they're I in there. I played with Donnie's son. Oh, my goodness. In Verdun, a- in Verdun, our home arena was a Verdun auditorium when yeah. I was playing with uh, Dawson College. And, oh, boy. Uh, Donnie's son was on our team, and Donnie would come to games once in a while, and we'd sit and talk to him. And he yeah, also did he- a yeah, long stint. He was on Hockey Night in Canada uh, yeah, way back right. when. Yeah, so yeah. he was fairly well-known back then when he walked into an arena because he saw him on TV every Saturday night. Yeah, he was quite a good athlete. And as well, everybody played a lot of sports. And uh, in fact, 
I was uh, I was uh, fourteen, I think. Donnie might have been just fifth. He was a year. He was always a year older, a year and a half older than me. But we won the Quebec Provincial Midget Championship. He was the best player we had, and uh, I do recall he was such a, a good athlete. He was a good football player. He was a great uh, softball and baseball player, uh, and uh, he uh, he loved skiing and. We we had we nearly lost our championship because he wanted to ski on Sundays and we had a big playoff game, but we had to twist his arm and but then and now he ends up an NHL player on on at least five cup winners. Right. So uh, how did you transition? I mean, I assume that when you played hockey uh, at a at a very competitive level at fifteen and sixteen your dream was to play in the national hockey league. How did you then transition into, into coaching and thinking about that was something you wanted to do? I really, it was just uh, because I couldn't play anymore. And uh, Frank Selke senior was the general manager of the Canadians. And most of the junior players, as you know, in the, in the junior leagues in Ontario and Quebec, you got affiliated with the, with the, an, an NHL team, usually Toronto or Montreal. Signing and a I, C form. Signing uh, a C form. Well, I never got to that point, but I, I was on the sponsored list, and then I got injured, and uh, I couldn't play anymore. And I did visit for one of the few times ever. Uh, Frank Salke Sr. called me in and said, you know, I think you may have to think about not being uh, hockey as a career because it was kind of dangerous for me to go and play without a, without a helmet and everything. I had a head injury. So he, they were very, very, uh, you know, nice to me and said, uh, you just finished high school. Uh, we'd like to, to have you an opportunity to go to college or you can go, we'll, we'll look after your university, which wasn't big in those days or do it or you want to do, but we'd like you to, to coach a youth team in, in, in Verdun at Willowbroad Park where we all grew up. So it sounded good to me. I was only 18 or 19, and uh, I coached out, outdoors for two years, a Bantam team and a midget team. And then I got a chance to uh, go to Park Extension. They had a junior B team playing in, the, in a, the Metropolitan Junior B League. So I was 20, and I, I actually had some players on my team. We were not a farm team of anybody, but we had a good year. Uh, got into second place and lost in the finals. And so Sam Pollock, I had played junior when I got injured. He was a coach. And then uh, I got a call one, one, one day in the summer. I was now I'm coaching. I'm, I'm actually, I didn't go to college. I told them I wanted to earn some money. So I took a job with the Sherman Williams paint company in Montreal. And I coached the two teams at night. And then I coached the junior B team. And then he asked me if I wanted to go and, be a full-time uh, junior assistant to him in Ottawa. The junior Canadians weren't they? They they, they moved to Ottawa and uh, they they were the people. Ottawa Hull Canadians. The first year it was yeah. Ottawa, and the second year was well. They always said it was Hull Ottawa. I don't know yeah. why, but they <laughs> built a new, a new rink in Hull, Quebec, uh, the Robert Gatineau Arena. But yeah, we we had a great team because somehow uh, uh, Alan Sam uh, Sam had worked on the farm system and he convinced the Canadians that they had a, that players on their list and they kind of folded the Quebec major junior league and they, they took all the players that they wanted and we went to Ottawa 
and we had a powerhouse junior team. We had four or five that made the NHL, uh, Bobby Russo, Gilles Tremblay, Jean-Claude Tremblay, players like that. And what a lot of and, people don't know is you won in a Memorial Cup. Well, we lost the first year. Yeah, the first year we played in the in out west, and uh, the west was not as strong as the east, and they allowed them to pick up three or four players uh, from other teams. And we lost the Flon Bombers in seven games. Uh, our big star was Ralph Backstrom, who later became a, a, a rookie of the year with Montreal. Yeah. So the second year, though, we had the the, the series down east, and we beat the another Montreal farm team. Uh, Regina Pats, and they had players like uh, they had Red Berenson, Bill Hickey, and uh, Terry Harper. They were a good team. Uh, we had a power. We had an all-star team, and we lost. We won in six games. We lost the first year in seven. We won it in six, and then then Montreal had a farm team in Peterborough, Ontario, and they were looking for to change the. the actually, the coach wanted to leave. He was a great Toronto Maple Leaf player, Ted Kennedy. Yep. And he, he was he was also in business, and he didn't have time to coach. So I was only 25, and Montreal said, here's a good opportunity, which it was because the team had been built pretty well by Ted Kennedy. And I got there, and sometimes timing is a big thing. And we got to the uh, Ontario finals, and we won. And then we, we went out west and lost the Memorial Cup. And we, we, had, a, we had a few NHL players, uh, Barkley Plager, Jim Roberts, we had another really good junior who I thought was going to be a star with Montreal. Uh, name was Wayne Connolly. He was a super junior player, but you know, Alan, in those days, Montreal had so many players, and uh, you know, even a fellow like Jim Roberts, who was a good junior, he didn't his first year out of out of junior, uh, he couldn't even play on their whole Ottawa uh, pro team. He had to go and play with a, an older team, the Montreal Royals. They were usually players that weren't going to go NHL. And that was like the senior league at the time. It's a senior league. Yeah. And, and so J Jim worked his way, though. He worked his way up and uh, became a good player for Toe Blake. And then later on, I went to St. Louis. And we got him. He was playing for me in St. Louis when I went yeah. to the Blues. After I finished junior, uh, I was coaching Peterborough. And then... Uh, you know, in those days, you didn't have much say. And I got called in the office one summer after the, my third year in Peterborough. And uh, that would be about 1960, I think it was. Uh, yeah, 50. I started in 58. So I coached through 61, I think. And uh, they said the chief scout for Eastern Canada had left to go with the Rangers. Uh, we want you to stop coaching and be a scout. Well, I did it for three years, Alan, and I... It was, it was probably the, 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 maybe the three years of my hockey career that I least enjoyed because I was in my late 20s. All my friends were having a lot of fun, and I was, I was traveling all over eastern Canada looking for young players because in those days, you recruited young players when they were like teenagers, or early teens, 13, 14. And um, I always tell the story. Uh, probably the best teenager I ever saw was Bobby Orr. And we missed him by about a couple of months because Boston was really on him. Ren He's, Blair. Ren Blair yeah, signed him. Yeah. yeah, Ren Blair is, was a, was the reason that he went with uh, with Boston. But uh, I had seen other top players. We missed on some. We got a few others. But I didn't like the job. But I did it for three years. 
And then an opportunity came to go back and coach the junior Canadians in Montreal. They moved back from Ottawa and uh, I coached them for, uh, I coached a junior B team first and then uh, I got elevated to the junior Canadians and we had a lot of good young players uh, that eventually became stars in the NHL like Jacques Lemaire and Serge Savard were two of the, probably the top players. Right. Scotty, what was it about coaching that you loved so much back then? Well, I mean, you know, I was learning the, the coaching business and I, I got a few breaks along the way. The first break I got when I went to Peterborough to coach the Peets uh, and I was 25, the Toronto Maple Leafs trained in Peterborough. It was an odd arrangement, but that was close to Toronto and the, 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 the manager and coach was the late Punch Imlach. And uh, I got to know Punch through a former Montreal player that when I was when I was scouting and, and coaching the juniors in, in the in, and I, I got to know Bert Olmsted and he was a Montreal Canadian player that, that I guess he was near the end of his career he went to the Leafs and uh, I got to know Bert and he introduced me to Punch Imlach. I went to a couple of lunches I played golf a couple of Punch was very cordial. Even though I was a junior Canadian, I was a junior coach for a Canadian farm team, he didn't care about it. And uh, I, I was able to watch how he operated. He coached the training camp in those days was six weeks. And Punch always, he always was involved. His best player would never sign. He was a tough cookie. He, he was man coach, but he won. He won four times. You know, he won the three in a row and he won in 67. So, but anyways, we got along well. And uh, then I, when I got to Montreal uh, later on, uh, coaching the ju- the junior Canadians, I got to know Toe Blake, and he was coaching the Montreal team by that time. So I, I really learned how to coach from those people. I, I I was always inquisitive. I didn't I didn't go to any clinics or anything like that. They do now, but I I just I mean I coached junior for ten years before I went to uh, St. Louis. Right. And and I heard that the for those 10 years you were a uh mainstay at the Montreal Canadiens practices that you would go there a lot and watch the practices, watch the drills and uh how much how much did that impact uh how you ran your teams in junior? Well, I was very fortunate when I worked for the paint company for 2 years. I had a very understanding boss. He knew I liked hockey. I was coaching the junior B team. And uh, they just opened a new warehouse in the next city over, Villa South. So um, I, I, I worked a pretty good deal. I would leave, I'd leave about 10 o'clock in the morning because I was working in stock records, which meant a lot of there's three paint companies and you have to, you have to know all the different numbers and all the code numbers. And that's where I got a big memory out of it. But I, uh, I used to go to the, I used to leave the center street, which was only about 10 minutes from bus to Montreal forum. I'd go and watch actually the first year I did it, Dick Irvin, the late Dick Irvin was his last year coaching the Canadians. So I would, I was allowed to go in the forum because I, you know, I had, uh, I, I had connections there because I had played junior. So I, I watched, I watched the Canadians practice and then I would take a bus and go to Villa Sal 
and get get some paperwork and then bring it back to Center Street. I could they let me do that about three days a week. So I had a pretty good I had a long lunch hour. I went from eleven o'clock till about two o'clock and I was, you know, working in the office. But that's how it started. And uh I was able to watch uh, I mean that the Canadians were powerful in those days and uh I watched a lot of good hockey games uh, at the forum and I went to the practices and uh and coach the juniors. And that's how I, that's how I became really interested in coaching. So in 1967, the NHL expanded from six to 12 teams. St. Louis blues are one of the expansion teams. And, uh, and I believe uh, Lynn Patrick was the first GM Mm -hmm. and you were initially hired by St. Louis as assistant coach to Lynn, who was also behind the bench. I was very fortunate because Lynn had a son, uh, that came to Montreal from Boston, uh, the, uh, Craig Patrick, who later became quite a general manager, as you know. Yeah. And Craig Pat was two. We had two U.S.-born players that wanted to come and try to be hockey players, which was so unusual because nobody came up from the U.S. But Craig Patrick and another uh, fellow Bostonian, Larry Plo, came yep. up to came up to Montreal. They both played sparingly in the NHL, but they both got jobs. In fact, I, I, I know that Larry Plo's still scouting now. So they came to junior Canadian, first to the NDG Junior B. I was coaching. Then I went to the junior Canadians. And Lynn Patrick was with Boston at the time. And he would come up, uh, especially when the Bruins were playing in Montreal on a Saturday. He would come up Friday and he watched, he watched maybe a half a dozen of our games that year. With the junior Canadians, we had we had a very good young team, uh, all prospects mainly for Canadians. Uh, like I said, Serge Savard was on that team. Carol Vadney was another. Jacques Lemaire, and um, we we had a good team, but we're young, and we we got beat by the Oshawa Generals. Bobby Orr was there playing junior. That was my first taste of Bobby Orr in junior hockey, and he was about sixteen at the time. So. That, that was how I got my uh, interest perked. And Lynn, Lynn offered me a chance, and I, he called me up. And uh, I used to visit with him, but we didn't talk much about going anywhere. And then he, he said, would you ever like to come and, and uh, learn the business and work as my assistant? I said, well, Lynn, I have another year on my contract. I had a two-year contract with junior Canadians. And uh, he said, don't worry about it. I'll take care of it. I'll go inside. Because I, I was very... I was nervous about going and, and leaving Canadians and Sam Pollock had given me my first chance. So, and he coached in junior when I was injured. So Lynn Patrick fixed it up and uh, Sam Pollock called me in one day and said, you know, uh, there's only six, there's only, there's, there's always been only six coaching jobs in the NHL. Now there's 12 and you got a chance. I, I went there as an assistant coach and assistant manager the first year with the premise that I would coach the second year, which was fine. Well, we got off to a slow start. I was I was actually on the bench changing the defense defense at that time. We might have been the first team that ever had two people. But we got into trouble in the first uh, month and a half, and uh, Lynn was, felt that he had to get off the bench and, and look for players. So he called me in one day and said, uh, I want you to take over the team as head coach a little 34 better. years old 34 was, years old and and i i was so nervous alan i i said i said i i'm sorry lynn but 
I, I, I don't like to turn it down, but, you know, I was nervous because the team wasn't very good. I had not coached in the NHL. I did have a lot of experience. I used to go down on my off nights and watch our farm team, Kansas City. So I, he said, look, I said, then the team's not very good either. It was a bunch of older guys. And he said, well, you, you know, here's how fair he was. He said, you know, all our players in Kansas City, he said, um, you, you can, uh, you, I'll work with you. You can, you, you can get this team going. So um, I said, can I have it one day to think about it? He said, sure. So Montreal was coming in to play us the next, the, the first game that I did coach. And uh, so I, had, I was on good relationship with Sam Pollock. And I, he's always, he's always a guy that could give you the right advice. So I called him up and I said, you know, Sam, I'm pretty nervous about this. I, I said it confidentially. I've been offered the job as head coach right now. And he said, well, he said, what's the difference this year or next year? But he said, you know, there's only only 12 jobs. I, w- I, 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 I think you better take it. He said, because if you don't take it, somebody might take it and you never know what could happen. And true enough, I mean, that's exactly what he said. And I, I said, oh, it made me feel comfortable that we that I could go and, and start. So we, we Lynn Patrick was so fair. I, we, we had a whole line of players that were young. Uh, they all came in and played in St. Louis. Frank St. Marseille, Gary Saverin, Terry Crisp. They were all in the minors. And we switched our team around. But the break that we got is um, the Rangers were a very powerful team in the East Division. We were in the West, uh, uh, like alone with, with the other five expansion. But the Rangers were a real threat against And Chicago had built up a really great team. And Boston had Bobby Orr, of course, but they were the three good teams in the East. And uh, Bobby Hull was such a great player. We had a player on our team that was leading our scoring, but he was 36, Ron Stewart. And he could really skate even at that age. And he was a good defensive player. And Emil was looking for a player that could skate and play against Bobby Hull. And uh, they had all, Rangers had built up a really good team by that time. Emil had done a great job. So they gave us a chance to pick players for, that weren't in the NHL. And Red Berenson was in New York. He had broken his leg the year before. And he was a spare because they, they already had uh, Jean Rattel, a fellow named uh, Walter Kachuk, uh, was really good centerman. They had uh, Pete Stamkowski. Yeah. So Red came into the lineup and hardly played. And uh, Lynn knew that I knew him from playing when he, when he came out of Michigan University, one of the few players in those days. Red came out at, at a young age. And uh, Montreal I was Montreal. <laughs> Red came to Montreal in the playoffs in the middle of, I think it was 1958 or 59. And they had Beliveau and Henri Richard and Ralph Backstrom and Phil Goyette at center. And Red came in to try to play center. Well, they moved them a bit on the wing, but eventually they, they sold him to the Rangers because he wasn't going to play for Canadians at that time. And he turned out to be the godsend for the St. Louis Blues. Uh, we got he and we got Barkley Plager from their farm team in Buffalo. Barkley became. But Scotty, you also did something remarkable back then. You convinced Dickie Moore 
Doug Harvey yeah, and Jacques Plant to come to St. Louis. Yeah, How we, in the world did you do that? Well, Doug Doug Harvey, we hired as our playing coach in Kansas City. He was 42 or 43. And we had a young, some young players. So the first year, Doug went down to, to be the playing coach. And we, we had a good year. And uh, Dickie Moore... We got it. We had a player. Oh, we drafted in our expansion draft. We drafted uh, a lot of players, and one didn't come. A report was Pat Quinn. He was a holdout, and he he refused to sign. Uh, the players in those days, for most of them, they only got one year contracts. And the two players that we had the most difficulty with, well, he didn't sign. And Al Arbor was thirty five and played playing coach in Rochester, and he decided, I'm going to retire if, unless I get a three-year contract. Well, no players got three-year contracts. And just to show you, the, the, the salaries were about 15 or 18, 20,000 if you're really a good player. And uh, this is coming out of the minors. And Al Arbor wanted a three-year contract, and he held out for two weeks. And we really wanted him. We really knew we needed him. And he got a three-year contract for eighty-one thousand, which in those days was wow. twenty-seven thousand, twenty-seven thousand a year. But it's the best money they ever spent because you know he went on to be a good mentor for a lot of young players and great coach. But so we got Al Arbor and Dickie Moore. We 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 getting ahead of the story. But Pat Quinn, Toronto called us up. Punch Emilek called and said, you know, uh, we we'd like to give a shot to Pat Quinn. And we looked over the list, and uh, I'm not sure if we phoned Dickie or Lynn called him, but the next thing you know, we traded the rights to Pat Quinn for Dickie Moore. Who was Dickie, retired. He was retired, had a good business in uh, Montreal, and he wanted another shot at it. So he, he said, I can't come and stay forever, but he came and he finished the season. He led our team in goals. He got seven goals in the playoffs. And, of course, he, he played only the one year. And uh, in the playoffs, we lost some injuries to Philadelphia in the first round. We um, we lost the sixth game at home. We were, should have won the series at home. We lost two defensemen, and we got so fortunate because Kansas City team was playing their their. We, we thought they were going to win their series. It was a sudden death. They were like a three out of a three out of five, and the series was tied. So Doug Harvey's team lost at home. In those days, you couldn't bring a player from the minors until the team was eliminated. Oh. So, but the team got eliminated. We got beat this sixth game at home. Had to go to Philadelphia for game seven. We we had a couple of injuries. I called Doug up and I, because uh, I said to him to wait until the, our game was over. And our game went. We we had we had just played against Minnesota. We won the seventh game in the second period of overtime on a goal by Ron Schrock. And uh, I called Doug after the game it was midnight in Kansas City and, and St. Louis, of course. And I said, Doug, we need we got to go and play the game seven. And uh, we got some injuries in, in Philadelphia. They had finished first that year. And I said, uh, I need I need some help. Uh, we need we need some bigger guys if we're going to go in there in game seven. Well, he said, I got two guys that are I got three guys that are ready. And he told me the names of the two forwards. 
He said, they're my best two forwards. He said, but we're out now. Gary Venaruzzo and Craig Cameron. And he said, and the, and the third guy is myself. He said, I can come and help. And I said, wow. Uh, you know, he had played very well in the, in the Central League too. And he was in good shape. And he went in. It's the most amazing game I ever coached. He went into, we went into Philadelphia. Uh, Al Arbor was able to play the game. We didn't know he was. The two of them played over 35 minutes a game. And Doug Harvey was first star in game seven. And then, and then we went into the, uh, we got into the finals and he played, he played in the Stanley Cup final. And the next year he played the entire season uh, for us. So right. we, we just, it was a lucky break. Uh, but we got players from Montreal the second year uh, after we didn't uh, win, of course, but we didn't win against Montreal. But we, uh, Jacques Plante retired from the Rangers, and, and he he had played a game for Junior Canadians uh, against the Russians. Russians, and uh, in, in I think and, that was 60. He got his amateur status back and he, to be he able won to the play game. that game. You had to be an amateur to play. And he won the game 3-1. to one. Or two to one. He won the and, game. And, and he stopped like a ton of shots. Oh, and he wanted and, to play. Yeah, you're right. Because he, he was working for Molson Brewery and he called up uh, he called up Sam Pollock. Uh, there wasn't good relationship with the Canadians because Jock left under tough terms. But he called Sam Pollock and he said, you know, I never got a chance to play against the Russians. You're playing them. Uh, it was about two months later. He said, is there any way I could come and give a try and skate with the juniors and practice and sam said absolutely because you know he, so he was about 39 and we brought him in and he he won that game for us and that summer uh he had a big press conference at the at the at the uh, hotel at queen elizabeth hotel where they had the annual meeting and he made a big press conference said he wants to unretire he wants to come back so i i, I said lynn we got to take this guy in the in the in the uh in the draft, they had an interleague draft, and Lynn and I were taught we we're always got along with him. And he said, "Gee, Scotty, uh, he's he's forty years old, you know." And I said, "Yeah, but I said, you know, we we lost our backup goalie, Seth Martin. We only have Glenn Hall, and sure enough, we uh, we convinced Jacques to come. And what a, what a year he had with Glenn Hall. The two of them, I looked it up the other day when I knew it was going to come on. They won the Vezina. Then they gave up one hundred and fifty-seven goals." And, and and nobody had given up less than that for about 20 years or 15 years. So wow. they, they, they got 13 shutouts and 20, 21 one-goal games between the two of them. And they, they both were alternating games. So that's how we, we, we got lucky in St. Louis by getting those veteran players. And then the, after the first year, we also picked up two more Three more veterans. We picked up. We traded a player, a young defenseman who never turned out uh, like we thought he was. Uh, Daryl Edestrand went to Philadelphia, and we or no to Pittsburgh, and Pittsburgh. we got Ab McDonald, and then we got uh, Phil Goyette. Uh, I think he had. I don't know. He was a free agent or something. We got. He won the Lady Bing in St. Louis, and then we also made a trade with. Um, Pittsburgh, and we got to have McDonald. So we're piling up a lot of ex-Montreal players. <laughs> and we got to the finals again with those players. And we got another player from that people know, don't don't know about, but he uh, he started with our minor league team, and we, he came up uh, halfway through our season. A really good uh, veteran player from the Rangers, Camille Henry. 
and he played for us. He played only only the one year in the playoffs, but uh, and he was he had been a teammate of Jacques Plante earlier. So we we had a good camaraderie. We had the right players at the right time, and and we lost three times to to twice to Montreal, once to Boston, but in the finals. Yeah. Yeah, the game times were close. three times I mean, you got it to the Stanley Cup finals. Yeah, we could we could stop the other you know Alan in those days uh, the difference between the minor league players and NHL players was usually on the offense. It usually like you know we had, we got players like Bill McCreary, Jerry Melnick, good veteran players. The only reason they weren't in the NHL is they they would they would be ten goal players in the NHL and they came up with us, but they were good defensively. So we built a good defensive team. Our our defense was as good as anybody uh, in that era. We had two brothers, Barkley and Bob Plaker. We got Bob in, a, in a, an expansion draft from Rangers. Barkley Plaker in the trade for uh, with Red Berenson for and Ron Stewart. And then we also, uh, you know, when you look at the lineup we, we had, uh, you know, we got Noel Picard, was a big, strong defenseman, extra player with Montreal. Um, and we had a good, tough defense. And Al Arbor was a great minor league defenseman, just kept, Toronto kept bringing him up in playoffs, but he never used them much. But with those four players, uh, and then we also had Jim Roberts, who could play forward and defense. And that halfway through the first year, uh, Minnesota put Ren Blair on, or uh, put uh, John Guy Talbot on waivers. And I, I said to Lynn, we, we better take him because he can help us. We got, we need depth on defense and he can play forward too. So we took John Guy Talbot. We had an ideal lineup because we, in those days, teams only played two pairs of defense, but we had an extra pair with Roberts and Talbot could kill penalties. It was a perfect team because we, we had good, solid defense, a lot of experience. And, of course, I think the player that made the Blues uh, be right from the very beginning, the acquisition and the draft, Glenn Hall. I mean, this was a big pickup for us, Chicago. They went with the young goalie, Dennis DeJordi, who would have been a pretty good young goalie at that time. But Glenn Hall came to us. I mean, he was so good that he won the Conn Smythe playoff trophy on a losing team. That right. one never, that doesn't happen very often. No, I think Roger Crozier was the only other goalie to do that back in the day. Wow. But, but, but Scotty, um, <laughs> the, the one thing about Glenn Hall that there, there's actually two things. Number one, over eight seasons in Chicago, he uh, played 502 consecutive NHL games. Started yeah. the game. And finish the game five hundred and two without a spell. I mean, that's an NHL record. If there's any record that will stand forever, that'll stand forever. And Alan, I still talk to him occasionally. Uh, he just had his ninety-first birthday. He lives in north of Edmonton. Still can talk hockey. Loves to talk to people. And he, I, I, I mentioned a couple of times to him five hundred and two games. You know. No, he said, it's over 700. I played three or four years in the minors and never missed a game. <laughs> so he always had a good a good answer, but he, he was a wonderful goalie and uh, what a team guy. You know, if if the Blackhawks would have played a little bit more defense in the 60s, uh, and this came from a lot of the players that played there, like Bobby Hull, and I remember talking to Pierre Pilat, 
he said, we just played, we played the offense and we got in the playoffs. And if you're, if you can't play defense in the playoffs, you, you know, as powerful a team as they had, you're not going to win. Right. And the other thing about Glenn Hall, I said there were two. The other one was reportedly before every single game, he used to get violently ill. And, and you know, the, the most important thing about Glenn Hall, he came with a two-year contract from, from Chicago, uh, 35000 That was That was pretty big money at that time. He had two years. One year left. We had him for the one year. And the owner in St. Louis's son was a very strong amateur golfer, Sid Solomon III. And the uh, Canadian amateur golf tournament was in Edmonton that year. So he said, and we had to sign Glenn Hall. So he said, what about going to the tournament? And then we're going to sign Glenn Hall. I said, sure. So we get out to the tournament and I don't, he got, he, he had, he had Glenn Hall on his mind because he started off in, in the amateur uh, Canadian amateur. And he, he had a tough first day. The second day, he said, let's get out of here. <laughs> he didn't <laughs> want to play. He had a couple of bogeys. So he said, let's go. And Because uh, we had called Glenn. And he said, I'm on, you know. So we drove up this country road. We're looking for his barn. He never had a barn. And he told the Blackhawks for five years, the training camps were six to seven weeks. But he used to tell the Blackhawks, I have to paint my barn. And he said, and, and and they went for it. And he told us the same thing. He said, I have to paint my barn. So I, I got to miss a couple of weeks. And it, so we got, we got out there on this country road. He's sitting in a rocking chair with a beer in his hand. And he, he's laughing like everything. Because we said, well, where's the red barn? He said, I never had a barn. I always leased my land. So <laughs> that was, but you're right. He, he, um, he I do remember <laughs> what, I do remember the, the, uh, Seventh game uh, against, uh, I think it was against Philadelphia. I'm pretty sure in, and and uh, yeah, it was the seventh game in a series. It must have been Philadelphia because uh, Doug was Doug was playing that game, and uh, he was so calm and collected. And I was a young coach, and and Glenn had said to me, you know, keep your eye on me because I had a tough game in game six. And we lost two to one in overtime or something. He stopped fifty shots, and I, <laughs> I was pretty nervous too. So he he was he was uh, really testing me out, and and I I wanted to look for Doug Harvey, and I couldn't find him in the room. This is about maybe 15, 20 minutes before we're supposed to go and do the pregame skate. So I found him, and he's in, he's in the. Um, right in the washroom, having a shave. He's just taking his time. He's taking the soap off his face. I said, Doug, I got to speak to you. I said, Glenn, Glenn just told me he's a bit nervous about if he, he said, keep your eye on me tonight. Don't, don't, don't hesitate to get me out of here if I haven't got it. And Doug just turned around and he said, Scotty, I'll keep both eyes on him, but don't worry. He'll be fine. <laughs> he was so calm and collected. And sure enough, we won the game. I think we won the game three to one with an empty net goal, but you're right. That's, that's the things we remember about Glenn Hall, no barn. And he used to, when he, and good news was when he was upset and he, and he had an upset stomach, he's going to have a pretty good game. <laughs> <laughs> now, now Scotty, your first year in Montreal, uh, 71, 72, 
Um, you lose in the quarterfinals, but the next year you ended up going into the finals against Chicago and you beat them and you won your first cup. And I got a little story to tell you about that series. <laughs> um, you won you won the cup that year in six games, and game five was in Montreal. Eight seven. You guys, you guys were up three to one. Oh my and, goodness. And and I was a Canadians fanatic <laughs> back then. I was seven years old. Anytime Montreal lost a game, yes, I I would run to my bedroom crying. <laughs> and my dad and my dad said to me, it it, it it looked like the series was over. You guys are up three to one. Games, no, game, game six, yeah. Game five. Game five, game game five, five yeah. with the cup in the building. And my dad said to me, Alan, I got two tickets in the blues, which mm. was the top, top Bro. section right yeah. near the rafters. He goes, <laughs> let's go watch Montreal win the cup tonight. Oh, my goodness. And, and I think my dad paid five bucks for each ticket Gee which was a lot of money and and, and we we go to the game we go to the montreal forum and montreal ended up losing to chicago eight to seven i know and and the two goalies in the in the 70s that if you went through the whole decade tony esposito in chicago ken dryden in montreal it's hard to believe a Stanley Cup final game. You're right, eight seven, and now we have to haul our team to Chicago. And you know, Game Six was no prize. Six four, a game. Yep. Yeah, Game Six was yep. six four. We had Game Seven uh, to go home, but it's hard to believe that a Stanley Cup would have two games and end up with twenty five goals, like eight and seven and six and four. But that's right. That was my first uh, opportunity to win, and it never was easy ever. It, it, it never was easy to win in Chicago for Montreal. Even and they win it quite a bit, but a lot of tough games, a lot of tough series, and uh, you know the crowd was wild, as we know, in the stadium. You know, and no one could ever read the clock. <laughs> yeah, they had a special. <laughs> but it's all it, you know. You're right. The goaltending. It's a different era now, I guess. But uh, looking back on those Montreal teams. Uh, it was. It's hard to believe that. Uh, I've always felt, though, Alan, and you saw the hockey at that time. But you know, um, when you're on a great team, whether you're a goalie or coach or a player, it's hard to give credit all the way to each each individual because it's a team game. But um, I never, I never really thought that Ken Dryden would ever has ever been given. I looked this record up when I knew I was going to interview with you. And, you know, it's hard to believe that in a regular season, for every uh, game that he lost, he would win five. He won five out of every six games. I mean, one year he lost. Uh, he's only, he only played in the league. I think he only eight played years. eight years. Eight years, and he yeah. gave up 56, 56 goals in eight years. That's an average of seven goals a, a, a game, as uh, losses, seven losses a year, plus around 30, 35 wins, you know, and then you go in the playoffs and he, uh, you know, he missed one year and only lost another, but uh, lost, uh, you know, his record is, is unbelievable. Like he's got nearly, I don't know, he's got, he's got, a, yeah, he's got a, a win. He's got five wins for every loss. Now, people say, well, the team was great. Yes, it was. But 
it doesn't matter how great your team is. There's parts of games, power plays by the other team or a bad start or something near the end of the game. And uh, uh, such a, a game like that, it's too bad that, you know, you can't, you can't, I mean, there, yeah, on the other hand, there are players that get in the Hall of Fame maybe because they were on a, a Stanley Cup team. It, it can work both ways. But I've always felt when the, they talk about the, the great goalies of all time, they always bypass Ken for some reason because, you know, I, I realize he didn't play only eight seasons, but Bobby Orr played 10. Right. Mm. And we still talk, I mean, and rightfully so, Bobby Orr, I watched him since he was 13, and then he and I had him in the Canada Cup when he was like the, the last year of 76 his career. on a bad knee. Yeah, and he was yeah. he was uh, he MVP. was only he wasn't he was he born in 48, so he's only 28 when he had to retire. But Ken only had a, a short career, but uh, the three that I have always felt was Ken Dryden, Bobby Orr, and Cam Neely. They had short careers, and of course, they're all in the Hall of Fame. That's that's the good news. But you often don't. I don't think Ken got a, as much of a. I mean, he didn't play. I mean, we, we had a good backup too. We had we had Michelle Larocque. He was a, he was a good goalie, and uh, but Ken would play about fifty games maybe, and and you know he he had what two hundred and fifty eight wins and seventy and fifty seven losses and and another seventy four ties, which because no. There was no over no time no overtime no shootout. He probably you know like statistically he probably could have won another fifty games you know with the, <laughs> right. with the three with the three on three uh, with the oh, team yeah. we had. Right. The thing the thing with Ken back then on those teams is like you said Montreal was such a powerhouse. You very often would um, significantly outshoot your opponents mm -hmm. on a on a on a daily basis, but there was always one or two moments at the game early when the score was close where he would make one or two unbelievable saves and end up only with 18 you know saves or or 19 saves in the game and to me it was the his ability to stay in the game yeah well i mean long stretches with no shots no and, and you know I, I always had the feeling with Ken, I don't have the records to speak for it, but if, like all players, you're going to have some off games. It was a comforting feeling when he lost the game. If you were a gambler, you pretty well bet on the next game. He's, he's <laughs> and don't forget, when you do, you're right, Ken, Alan, when you get in the playoffs, you're not playing, now you're not playing uh, ordinary teams. You're usually, and as the series goes on, when you win one series, the next series, that that team is 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 not the same as the first team you beat because they probably won one series or a second series. So, you know, we had some real, like, I mean, of all the games that I ever coached in um, and, and rinks, Boston was a tough building to win in. I mean, uh, I know they've won quite a bit Montreal in their day, but boy, to win a game in Boston Garden, they always had some pretty strong teams and. Uh, we won close games in Boston, overtime games, maybe two or three overtime games one year. But, you know, the team, I, th I think when you get spoiled with the Canadians is the, the, the team in 76-77 was similar to the team in 75-76 and 77-78, but it still only lost eight games during the season and two in the playoffs. So, you know, when you think about uh, 80, it was 
I think it was 60 wins and then another 12, 72 wins out of, uh, we only played 14 playoff games. So it would be a 94, 94 uh, game se season counting the playoffs. And, uh, but you know, uh, Boston was getting better. The first time we beat them in 76, I think it was, uh, I think we beat them uh, in four straight. And then we had to play them in 70, no, 77. 77 was four straight. Right. 78 went six games in overtime. Jacques Lebert, Lafleur de la And then 79 was the uh, famous uh, too many men on the ice. And that was seven games in overtime. Yeah. So Boston was a, a team in in that era, and and I always felt Boston like if and you know you think about Bobby Orr, he was pretty well getting injured around the early seven mid seventies, like he finally gave it up in seven seventy whatever seventy six I think it was seventy seven he gave but it he'd up. He'd already he, moved to Chicago and he couldn't play anymore. Right. So you know, uh, Boston would have probably had. I, I mean, it's very similar. When I when I uh, read I read a lot about history of the league, and I was reading something the other day. Uh, oh, I was talking to um, Marty. Um, I'm sorry, Matt Pavlich. He's he's living in Windsor. His brother is Marty Pavlich. He's 95 years old, and he skis in wow. big big sky Montana. Yeah, he, he, but we're talking about Canadians, and and I remember talking to Ted Lindsay. I used to talk to Ted a lot because I was in Detroit when he was, and he used to come to our room all the time to work out in his eighties. He was in, you know, and Ted, Ted still talked about the fact they won the cup in Detroit. It, 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 he said between Montreal and, and, uh, and uh, Detroit in the decade of the, of the fifties, only one team was stuck in there was Toronto. They won in 50, uh, 51, but the Red Wings won the cup in 52, 54, uh, 50, 50, 50, 52, 54, 55. And Montreal won the five in a row. And Ted said, if we would have kept our team together, he thought that we would have, like talking about we, Detroit now, right. he said we would have got two or three more cups. Montreal would have got two or three less. It's amazing. But they switched all their players like they, they well, they they traded uh, Terry Sachuk first, but he they still those players on that team. I got to know Red Kelly as well when they did his jersey retirement and everything else, and they're still bitter, even though they won enough cups. Like you know, Red, Red Kelly won four with Detroit, four with Toronto. They're still bitter. What happened to them in the fifties? That they why why did we change so many players? Because you know. Right. Well, they, well, well, well. Ted was traded after oh, the Players Association yeah, that but, he tried to form with Doug Harvey and yeah, they, the other leaders. Yeah, they um, moved. Was was crushed by the by Clarence Campbell and 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 the league. Yeah, they were all agreed to the the, the league. The league. The players. Uh, Chicago gained quite a bit on that. They they got players like Todd Sloan. He's another player that was good with the Leafs. And but they were you're right the league those teams didn't want any part of that but it's it's amazing to think about the history of Detroit and and uh, Montreal and in fact when I uh, left Pittsburgh I was in Montreal for a playoff I was at, I was at the playoff game where um, the playoff game where where they had the stick 
penalty. Uh, Marty McSorley. I, yep. I went to that playoff game and I had just agreed to go with the Red Wings uh, because I had left Pittsburgh in a contract dispute. And that so, was Marty with the that was Marty with the LA Kings. So in, I, in the I, finals. I, and I and I was talking to Ken Reardon, who I got along very well with, with Canadian ex player. Then he became a you know president or something. And I, I I said to Ken because he was very helpful to me when I started. I said, I'm I'm decided I'm taking a job with Detroit. He says you can't go to Detroit. We 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 don't like Detroit. <laughs> but he, <laughs> no, it's funny the rivalry that Montreal had with Detroit, but then it later became with Boston. Right, I, I think that was the big rivalry. But uh, yeah, we had to beat some good teams because I, I I thought Boston had teams that could have won a few more. Right. And then in 79, in your last year, uh, when you won the four in a row, um, after game one of the finals against the New York Rangers, you made the decision to now turn to Michelle LaRock to start game two. And Doug Reisbrow in the pregame warmup took a shot on, on LaRock. That's right. Hit him right between the eyes. And he Good was play. he had a he had a cage I believe he had a cage goalie mask back then one of the few Good. wearing a cage, and and he was cut pretty bad, and couldn't and couldn't play, and now Ken Dryden's in the net, <laughs> and it was the second time that year that a, a a there was also the Challenge Cup that you were coaching yeah, the fate, and and in the the last game. You went with Jerry Cheevers over mm -hmm. Ken Dryden. What 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 controlled those decisions for you? Well, it's so long ago. Uh, I think I've always, when I tried to make decisions, I always made it on the premise: what's going to help us win this game? And sometimes you're very lucky, like you said, uh, because. Who knows? Uh, I think I think because probably the decision in '79 uh, to change goalies was the fact that uh, it was the first real uh, setback that we had in that run, losing the first game at home, and the fact that Bunny LaRock had had a really good um, year that year. Like uh, we, if you look at his record, it was pretty awesome, but it was it was a, a stroke of luck. That that happened because you know who knows he might have been able to, to do it as well. But with Ken coming in, uh, we we had a tight series with the Rangers. It went five games and the games were fairly close. But I I I think it just made the decision. How could what's the best decision to try to win this game? Some of your decisions to win are not going to turn out, and that's what happened. We got very fortunate in those two instances. It was unfortunate because. Jerry Cheevers had had a banner season. Uh, you know, it's easy to say, uh, well, if I could do it over, would I change? Obviously, you would, but you don't have that second chance. Right, right. I, I have uh, really one more area sure. I'd like to talk about. Y you deserve to be credited for taking a lot of the training methods uh, of the Soviets in the 70s you were the head coach of the 76 Canada Cup with Don Cherry. Um, you played, 
you you coached the New Year's Eve game in 75, the famous 3-3 tie against Central Army. Probably uh, many people to this day consider the greatest single hockey game ever played. I was there at that <laughs> game. Um, what was it about the Soviets that intrigued you and and how did it change the way you thought about the game um and and well yeah two two factors that i've always thought about the first year we went to ottawa with an all-star junior team from quebec they was we had the best players from quebec and we 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 had a we had a tough time drawing people because we weren't in a league. We had, we had a, it was a phony cup they put up called the Laurier Trophy. We played Ontario teams, but they weren't even close to us, honestly. Uh, although we didn't win the cup that year because we went west. But we, uh, we played in the Ottawa Auditorium. It was a unique building that was built in the sort of mid-20s or late 20s. And it was what they call egg-shaped, which meant – the, the the board the boards behind the nets um, the normal board was a 24 foot straight board Ottawa was 12 it's only 12 feet straight and then it started to curve to the court to the sideboards so we we had a record we used to play the junior teams and beat them easily from Ontario score seven eight goals in Ottawa games would be a lot closer on their ice. The Soviets came in with a team in 56. It would got to be around December of 56, the first year we got to Ottawa. There's their men, senior team. In fact, I've read stories about one guy, uh, Salah Gubov, a defenseman, who later went in the army in the in the uh, for in the in the war. Who uh, was in the army in 44, and then he ended up playing in that game. He'd probably be about 28 or 30. But we were relishing the fact that. Where do we play the Russians in Ottawa? Alan, it was probably the most devastating loss that I ever could think about because we had a we had an all-star team. We lost 10 to 1. We never had the but now we were juniors. We brought so we had two game series. Sam Pollock was was I was I was coaching with Sam. And we had a second game in Montreal. We had a second game in Montreal, maybe uh, three, four days later. And we were so embarrassed that he brought in players from the Marlboros, the best team in Ontario, Carl Brewer, Bob Nevin, their goalie. We got beat 6-3. But they opened my eyes at the time because they didn't make many trips after that. That's 1956. I mean, I, I know they, I think they started hockey in 1945. Right. Now, this is only 11 years later, and they were starting. That was when they started to win all those. There was no competition in Europe. World championships. So, all all yeah. those wins. And then the next the next time that I, I got my eyes open with those tournaments, but then when we, we I got to Detroit, we got beat the first year, a devastating loss to San Jose in the seventh game. Chris Osgood was a young goalie, 20 or 21 he had some bad luck in that seventh game. But Igor Larionov was with San Jose, and he he had a five-man unit. He only had two Russians with him. Uh, one Russian with him, uh, Sergei Makarov. And he had a uh, 
he had a, 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 a fellow named Johan Jarpenloff, a Swedish player, and he had uh, Sandis Oselinch, who wasn't, he's one of the, the girls of Russia. I don't know who he was from, one of those smaller countries. I think Lithuania, maybe. Maybe, and also a guy named Jeff Norton. They beat us. They had a five-man system. Igor was the one that said, look, this is the way we're... They beat us. They beat us fair and square. They didn't win anything after that. They were close against Calgary, but they got beat. But then we got Igor, and I got... We got Slava Fatisov from Lou Lamorello. He was sitting in the stands, and Lou always liked him. And he, I always got along good with Lou Lamorello uh, because he used to coach in Providence, and we had drafted some players on Eisen Buffalo. And Lou was the guy when any player from his college graduated or went up to play pro, he did the first contract. He did their contracts. He was their agent. And he, he was not let agent. any agents come around no. him. He handled it himself. <laughs> so you know the story. So anyways, <laughs> Larionov comes in. We already had Fedorov. I, was, I went there the first year. I inherited Fedorov and Konstantinov. Kozlov had just come in and started with our farm team. We, he was so good, we brought him up. So we had the three. We got we got Slava Fatisov one year for insurance. We got beat by New Jersey. That summer, he kept calling me and saying, Can you, is there any – he said, Larionov wants to come to Detroit. I said, well, they're not going to train him. He said, no, no, he's, he told them he doesn't want to play there anymore. <laughs> so he said, you should go for him. So we traded a pretty good score. We had a lot of right wingers. So we had Cicerelli and Lapointe and McCarty. We traded uh, Ray Shepard, a good goal scorer. And Igor came to us, and I'm telling you, he was like a coach. And I, I just, I just between between the '56 team and then when he came there, I look back on the Russians, and uh, you know, I know it's got it's different now because they don't play the same system and they don't have the same benefits. But they they had a unique system, Alan. They they I, I was lucky in '76 that the year we had the big team. Yeah, uh, they came to Montreal uh, in '75, the year before at New Year's Eve, and uh, in in the spring is when we won the cup. But um, the two years later, we won the '76 '77 was the big team. But I had a one hour interview with Tarasov. They asked if I wanted to meet him. I said, yes, I would. And uh, it was amazing. I said, well, I can't speak Russian. And he couldn't speak English. They had an interpreter. Spent an hour at the Montreal Forum. He wasn't coaching by then. Uh, yeah. The coach was con constant and locked up. But he was with the team. And he watched us practice. Tarasov watched the Canadians practice that year. And uh, I met him after. Uh, the meeting was after the practice. Was he taking notes? Well, yeah, because he said to me, I liked your practice, but out of the seven drills, three of them standing around too much. You, know, you got to keep them busier. And then he, he also said to me, it was really, really, really something. He said, um, you have great defensemen. We had Savard, LaPointe, and Robinson. And he said, you know, I'm going to give you a, a play that you should try to practice. And, of course, we were winning, so we couldn't change, but... He wanted me to get Guy Lafleur when, when we were going to pick up the puck around our goal or if they shot it in and we were, those guys were going to get it. He said, they're so good. The puck's going to, they could, they're going to get it out. 
You tell Guy Lafleur to start skating as soon as he, he has to anticipate. Though, tell him to leave the uh, leave the end zone. Make sure he catches eye contact with their left defenseman, and then he'll bring him out, and then cut across. And now the two defensemen will wonder who's got him. So you'll end up in your own end. Guy Lafleur will be at center. They'll only have four, and you'll have four. Because he said, if he's like a lot of our players, he said, I really like him as a player, but in in his own end. I said, well, we're not in our own end very often. But he, he said, <laughs> he, wants him, he wants him out of the end zone because he said, you'll have four, I'd rather have four on four. And, and, you know, when they play that big series, the Summit series, we I did a research on it, Alan, and our, the Canadian defenseman in 72, White and Stapleton, Brad Park, Guy Lapointe, Serge Savard, and it was an oh, and Gary Bergman. Mm -hmm. Their records in the NHL off offensive defensemen were outstanding. They all they all were good. You know, in that series, their point total went way, way down because the Russians, the, I think where they surprised us the most, it's the first team I ever saw, they would leave the end zone with one winger way up high and it, it would that's what Tarasov wanted us to try well we were winning games you don't when you when you try to do things when you have a winning team the team's not into it you know but he he was an amazing man um he's the one coach if you noticed that started the off ice training they did training oh my goodness they would but i mean he had the full control, the communism. I mean, those players were, were held in captive for 11 months. And finally, Larionov and Fatisov, they still respect them as a coach, as a, as a hockey mentor. They didn't respect the system, and that's why they, they, they caused trouble and got out. And Tikhanov was... Uh, was successor. Uh, right. He, he was successor for, for Tarasov. But Tarasov was a brilliant... You know, the, the Russians took hockey from the Czechs. The, the history tells me the Czechs were the first. The Czechs played hockey and tennis. That was their two sports. Right. And, and, and uh, from in 1945, they, 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 they took all the, all the hockey style from the Czechs. And, of course, they elaborated on it. They never played hockey in Russia. They had that game Bandy played right. on things like a soccer game. But, no, they... They were unique. It's not the same now, but working with those uh, five Russians, we did. I was so afraid that somebody would figure them out because I, 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 in fact, in fact, Fatisov, if I had a good relationship with him, it's too bad now that he's gone the other way. But the the Igor is different. He came to the reunion. He's still a lot of Canadian American in him, you know. But Fatisov. He he was an amazing amazing guy, and he'd say to me, "Look, I know I know we're doing well, but if there's something that you don't you know don't be don't hesitate to let us know." And I said, "Slava, I don't know what you're doing, but whatever you're doing, keep doing it." You know, <laughs> but the, the Russians were uh, that five man unit. I I see tapes of them now, and I wish I would have played them more because I I was always afraid that. You know, they had the, it was like the Glo Harlem Globetrotters on the ice. And I mean, you know, Fedorov was a great, great uh, skater. They, and even in the, the Russians had seemed to, 
And Igor told me when they're young, when the kids were young in his day, they used the system. They built up your legs and your core, and they didn't emphasize uh, results. They they emphasized passing skills. They didn't even do shooting. They wanted the teams, you you know, no stick, not not a lot of stick handling. The puck is the the stick handling, you know. And well, I, I spent a lot of time over there, and and I was oh. told that they used to, at at like seven or eight years old, pick the kids skating. They used to have them all go out and free skate, yeah. and they they were picking kids who were bow legged. Yeah, skating. They liked that. Skating is a big thing with them. Speed, speed, and, and stick handling. Not stick handling. Passing. Their passing skills were. You're you're exactly right, and. The, and I mean, they transferred it into a, a game. Now it's so much different now because they changed the rules, and we have a different hockey game now. But right. you know, uh, now the kids are the kids skate today, Alan. They're all. It's hard to find a kid that can hardly because I think I think now they have the mechanism in the off seasons that the, the kids can improve their skating. But if you if you were if you grew up when I was a youngster in Canada, if you were not a pretty good skater by 12 or 13 there's no mechanism to get better you know we, we didn't have ice in the summer um but these these players now they all train off season i mean they're 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 fantastic conditioned athletes and like you know i i read stuff about guys like Connor mcdavid and stamkos in the off season they all go to around toronto and and those academies uh, you know they 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 it's pretty pretty good for kids to get their skill, you know. Yeah, yeah. Now you had drafted in Buffalo the first player from Czechoslovakia ever drafted in the first round of the NHL draft. Yuri Dudacek. Yeah, yeah. We and had a. I had, had a, I had seen him play uh, in the Canada um, Cup. And no, he was a uh, yes, and he was unreal. Yeah, we had, a, we had a scout, Bucky Kane, the late Bucky Kane was a scout out of Boston. He he went and saw this guy play when he was 18, and he, he, and he said, he's a fabulous player. Do you know what happened to him? I did go over to see him. Uh, in Czech. In the Czech, yeah. I went over to see him in the Prague. He got tuberculosis, and he never could play again. He, he played a little bit in that league. But you're right, as a young Czech player, but the pick, the pick was around. We didn't have an early pick, but it was I think in, it was seventeen no, around that around that yeah. number. Yeah, but you took a chance, and uh, too bad he didn't turn out, you know. But at the same time, you know, there's a lot of good. Uh, Bucky Kane picked Tom Barrasso out of a high school, and, <laughs> uh, and 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 the same year, Alan, the same draft, uh, he 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 somehow got a hold of Ralph Backstrom. And uh, uh, Ralph Backstrom told him about a, a. I thought he. I thought he was a, a relative, but he it, it, he wasn't. He's was a kid playing in Kirkland Lake Senior Hockey. He told Bucky Kane, "You should take this guy. He's a goalie." And it's the first time we ever. I I, I I never did it since. We took a draft pick that we never saw, but we took it on the uh, on the on the premise that Ralph Backstrom it was Darren Poopa. We, we got Darren Poopa and Tom Barrasso in the same draft, and they wow. both ended up both NHL goalies. I yeah, mean, Barrasso had a better career, but Poopa he's still around Tampa somewhere. But you know, it's uh, some of the, you gotta 
that's the one thing that Sam Pollock really uh, didn't get credit for is uh, he, I went to Montreal when uh, the, day, the, the day before they drafted Guy Lafleur. The night before, we had meetings all night long, and he had made a deal with, he, Sam was close to making a deal because he, he said to the group, because Dion was right there, like he was so, Sam was so concerned, like which of those two? But he addressed the group and he said, if I can make a deal to get Dion, could this be a repeat of the 50s, Beliveau and Jeffrey on? That's what he said, a centerman and a right winger. And, you know, the consensus was, no, it's not the same. They're, they're bigger guys. It's a different era. But we, he was ready to make a trade with, De, uh, with Detroit, Manette Harkness. And yeah. I, know, I know that either J.C. Tremblay or Terry Harper, they had just won the cup that year. That was the year Dryden came in. They had just won the cup. They were part of a package of about three or four guys. Uh, one one was a goalie. I don't know which goalie because we had uh, we had uh, Phil Meir, we had Wayne Thomas, we had a lot of goalies. And he, I think he, he still he, had Rogie. Yeah, Rogie was still with yeah. And so they he he came close to making the trade, but the consensus of the group was it's not the same. Marcel's not as big as Belleville, but I mean. They came that close to making the trade, you know. Can you and, imagine? Uh, I know. Yeah. Sam, Sam was he was he was an astute hockey man, you know, quite a businessman. And I mean the Brofmans that owned the team were wonderful people. And he was they had so many business interests. The reason that Sam Pollock left the Canadians in seventy eight was not it wasn't he wasn't he was still a great uh, hockey man, but he, he they wanted him to get into the business part. They were they, they they saw they saw their their core people Jack Cockwell and Trevor Eaton these guys that ran their businesses they saw how smart he was as a businessman and the rest is history. Wow! And he ended up getting involved. Uh, oh, there's uh, a place, Sam Pollock place in Toronto. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, he was a great man. I got my chance from from being with him, and I I always. I mean, I'm so so fortunate to know him, to know Toe Blake, and as I said to you earlier, Punch Imlac. You know, you know, there's nobody that can can get along uh, well unless you have other people that can help you. Yeah. Well, well, Scotty, I've I've kept you too long, but I've been having so much fun. <laughs> I hope okay. uh, I hope I didn't uh, overstep no, and get you mad at me, but. No, no. Um, uh, I know you probably have things to do, and uh, and really, this has been one of Good. the most enjoyable hour forty five that I've ever spent. <laughs> okay. And I feel I could go on and keep doing this all day, but uh, then you'd really get mad at me. Okay. So, thank you so much for your time. This has been Agent Provocateur with Alan Walsh and Adam Wild, powered by Sports Interaction. Want to bet? Follow Alan Walsh on Twitter at Walsh A. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts by searching Agent Provocateur and hitting the subscribe button. YouTube.com slash SDPN. 